Hi, everybody, and welcome to another All Hallows podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Ferraccio, and this is a shout-out to Larry and Dusty and Heather, Lynn Cooley, and all my other friends who listen. The All Hallows podcast is a labor of love because I love Halloween. I'm sitting in my bedroom in Eugene, Oregon, which is my makeshift studio right now, and within sight of my eyes, I can see one copper bat, over ten raven statues picked up in such exotic locations as Salem, Massachusetts, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and London, England. I see a really cool handmade full-size witch's broom, three ceramic skulls, six jack-o'-lanterns made of plastic and glass, and about eight cauldrons made of cast iron and ceramic. And that's just my bedroom decoration all year long. I adore Halloween. I've adored it since I was four years old. That's half a century ago. Now, why do I love Halloween so much? Well, Halloween is a very different thing for me than it is for younger generations. At 54, my Halloween growing up was trick-or-treating, the Adams Family, spooky and eerie, but not grotesque or bloody. The late 60s and the early 70s were truly a wonderful time to be a kid and to enjoy Halloween. John Carpenter's movie, Halloween, changed everything, turning Halloween into a gore fest. And if you enjoy that, that is absolutely cool. But it's not for me. If I were going to do a yard haunt, I would have things like children whispering in the night like this. Or calling like this. Murderous clowns, psychos, severed limbs, disrespect for the mentally ill, those aren't my style. Now don't get me wrong, just a few years ago I helped design the layout for a 14,000 square foot zombie adventure that was part escape room and part nerf game shoot 'em up adventure. And I had a ball. I spent a Halloween in 1997 in front of a bonfire all alone, except for a black cat and a white rabbit. And I've spent it in the middle of a throng of 90,000 people, too. But give me eerie, ghostly, give me witches, black cats, bats, and the unknown. Whatever you do this Halloween, please be safe. I would love to hear from you, if you would like. You could post something on our Facebook page, All Hallows, easy to find. Or go ahead and shoot me an email, J-E-R-R. S-P-E-R-O at gmail.com. Jerspero at gmail.com. I know most of the people who are listening to this are my good friends anyway, and if you could do me a favor, I'd really appreciate it. Please let me know what you would like to hear in the next six days for Halloween, and please share my podcast with one person. I'd love to be reaching even more listeners who love Halloween. So a short reading for you by James Russell Lowell, written in 1864, called The Black Preacher, a Breton Legend. At Karnak in Brittany, close on the bay, they show you a church, or rather the gray ribs of a dead one, left there to bleach, with a wreck lying near on the crest of the beach, roofless and splintered with thunderstone, mid lichen-blurred gravestones, all alone. Tis the kind of ruin, strange sights to see, that may have their teaching for you and me. Something like this, then, my guide had to tell. 
perched on a saint cracked a cross when he fell. But since I might chance give his meaning a wrench, he talking his patois and I English-French, I'll put what he told me, preserving the tone, in a rhymed prose that makes it half his, half my own. An abbey church stood here, once on a time, built as a deathbed atonement for crime. Twas for somebody's sin, I know not whose, but sinners are plenty and you can choose. Though a cloister now of the dusk-winged bat, twas rich enough once, and the brothers grew fat, looser in girdle and purpler in jowl, singing good rest to the founder's lost soul. But one day came Northmen, and lithe tongues of fire lapped up the chapter house, licked off the spire, and left all a rubbish heap, black and dreary, where only the wind sings misery. No priest has kneeled since at the altar's foot whose crannies are searched by the nightshade's root, nor sound of service is ever heard except from throat of the unclean bird hooting to unassoiled shapes as they pass in midnight's unholy his witch's mass, or shouting hoo hoo from the belfry high as the devil's sabbath train whirls by. But once a year, on the eve of all souls, through these arches dishallowed the organ rolls, Fingers long fleshless, the bell ropes work, the chimes peel muffled with sea mists murk. The skeleton windows are traced anew on the baleful flicker of corpse lights blue, and the ghosts must come, so the legend saith, to a preaching of Reverend Dr. Death. Abbots, monks, barons and ladies fair, hear the dull summons and gather there. No rustle of silk now, no clink of mail, nor ever a one greets his churchmate pale. No knight whispers love in the chatelaine's ear, his next-door neighbor this five hundred year. No monk has a sleek benedicite, for the great lord shadowing now is he. Nor needeth any to hold his breath, lest he lose the least word of Dr. Death. He chooses his text in the book divine, Tenth verse of the preacher in chapter 9. Whatsoever thy hand shall find thee to do, that do with thy whole might, or thou shalt rue. For no man is wealthy, or wise, or brave, in that quencher of might-bees and would-bees the grave. Bid by the bridegroom tomorrow, ye said, and tomorrow was digging a trench for your bed. Ye said, God can wait, let us finish our wine. Ye have wearied him, fools, and that last knock was mine. But I can't pretend to give you the sermon, or say if the tongue was French, Latin, or German. Whatever he preached in, I give you my word, the meaning was easy to all that heard. Famous preachers there have been and be, but never was one so convincing as he. So blunt was never a begging friar, no Jesuit's tongue so barbed with fire. Cameronian never, nor Methodist, wrung gall out of scripture with such a twist. And would you know who his hearers must be? I tell you just what my guide told me. Excellent teaching men have, day and night, from two earnest friars, a black and a white, the Dominican death and the Carmelite life. And between these two there is never strife, for each has his separate office and station, and each his own work in the congregation. Whoso to the white brother deafens his ears, and cannot be wrought on by blessings or tears, 
Awake in his coffin must wait and wait in that blackness of darkness that means too late and come once a year when the ghost bell tolls as till doomsday it shall on the eve of all souls to hear Dr. Death whose words smart with brine of the preacher the tenth verse of chapter nine. Superstition, 1902 by Madison J. Kawin. In the waste places, in the dreadful night, when the wood whispers like a wandering mind, and silence sits and listens to the wind, or midst the rocks to some wild torrent's flight, bat-browed thou waitest with thy wisp of light. Among black pools the moon can never find, or owlet-eyed, Thou hootest to the blind, deep darkness from some cave or haunted height. He who beholds but once thy fearsome face never again shall walk alone, but wan and terrible attendance shall be his, unutterable things that have no place in God or beauty, that compel him on against all hope where endless horror is. Halloween 1908, Madison J. Cowan It was down in the woodland on last Halloween, where silence and darkness had built them a lair, that I felt the dim presence of her, the unseen, and heard her step on the hush-haunted air. It was last Halloween in the glimmer and swoon of mist and of moonlight where once we had sinned, that I saw the gray gleam of her eyes in the moon, and hair like a raven, blown wild on the wind. It was last Halloween, where starlight and dew made mystical marriage on flower and leaf, that she led me with looks of a love that I knew was dead, and the voice of a passion too brief. It was last Halloween, in the forest of dreams, where trees are Edelons and flowers have eyes, that I saw her pale face like the foam of far streams, and heard like the night wind her tears and her sighs. It was last Halloween, the haunted, the dread, in the wind-tattered wood by the storm-twisted pine, that I, who am living, kept tryst with the dead, and clasped her a moment who once had been mine. All Souls, 1909, Edith Wharton A thin moon faints in the sky o'erhead, and dumb in the churchyard lie the dead. Walk we not, sweet, by garden ways, where the late rose hangs and the flocks delays, but forth of the gate and down the road, past the church and the yews, to their dim abode, for its turn of the year, and all souls' night, when the dead can hear, and the dead have sight. Fear not that sound like wind in the trees, it is only their call that comes on the breeze. Fear not the shudder that seems to pass, it is only the tread of their feet on the grass. Fear not the drip of the bough as you stope, it is only the touch of their hands that grope. For the years on the turn, and it's all souls' night, when the dead can yearn, 
and the dead can smite. And where should a man bring his sweet to woo, but here, where such hundreds were lovers too, where lie the dead lips that thirst to kiss, the empty hands that their fellows miss, where the maid and her lover from sair to green sleep bed by bed with the worm between. For it's turn of the year and all souls' night when the dead can hear and the dead have sight. And now they rise and walk in the cold. Let us warm their blood and give youth to the old. Let them see us and hear us and say, Ah, thus, in the prime of the year it went with us, till their lips drawn close and so long unkissed Forget they are mist that mingles with mist, for the year's on the turn, and it's all soul's night, when the dead can burn, and the dead can smite. Till they say as they hear us, poor dead, poor dead, just an hour of this, and our age-long bed, just a thrill of the old remembered pains, to kindle a flame in our frozen veins, a touch, and a sight, and a floating apart, as the chill of dawn strikes each phantom heart, for it's turn of the year, on all souls' night, when the dead can hear, and the dead have sight. And where should the living feel alive, but here in this wan, white, humming hive? As the moon wastes down, and the dawn turns cold, and one by one they creep back to the fold. And where should a man hold his mate, and say, one more? One more ere we go their way, for the year's on the turn, and it's all souls' night, when the living can learn by the churchyard light. And how should we break faith who have seen those dead lips plight with the mist between, and how forget who have seen how soon they lie thus chambered and cold to the moon? How scorn, how hate, how strive we too, who must do so soon as those others do, for it's all souls' night, and break of the day, and behold, with the light, the dead are away. Halloween, 1914, by W. M. Letts Why do you wait at your door, woman, alone in the night? I am waiting for one who will come, stranger, to show him a light. He will see me afar on the road, and be glad at the sight. Have you no fear in your heart, woman, to stand there alone? There is comfort for you and kindly content beside the hearthstone. But she answered, No rest can I have till I welcome my own. Is it far he must travel tonight, this man of your heart? Strange lands that I know not, and pitiless seas have kept us apart, and he travels this night to his home without guide, without chart. And has he companions to cheer him? Aye, many. She said, the candles are lighted, the hearthstone's been swept, the fires glow red. We shall welcome them out of the night, our homecoming dead. All Souls' Eve, 1920 By Darrell McLeod Boyle The evening is dark, and the sky is misty, and the wind blows low. O oh, wind, cease swaying the bare, bare branches, bending them to and fro. They look too like ghosts in the pale moonlight. Ah, too like ghosts in the dusky night, when ghosts glide to and fro. O oh, ghosts not laid, and ghosts forgotten, and ghosts of the evil dead, 
Why will ye come to sear my heart when I thought ye had gone and fled? Why do ye come on this night of the year? Does it ease your pain to behold my fear? Since all is done and said. Halloween in a Suburb Published 1926 by H. P. Lovecraft The steeples are white in the wild moonlight and the trees have a silver glare. Past the chimneys high, see the vampires fly, and the harpies of upper air that flutter and laugh and stare, for the village dead to the moon outspread never shone in the sunset's gleam, but grew out of the deep that the dead years keep, where the rivers of madness stream down the gulfs to a pit of dream. A chill wind blows through the rows of sheaves in the meadows that shimmer pale and come to twine where the headstones shine and the ghouls of the churchyard wail for harvests that fly and fail. Not a breath of the strange gray gods of change that tore from the past its own can quicken this hour when a spectral power spreads deep o'er the cosmic throne and looses the vast unknown. So here again stretch the vale and plain that moons forgotten saw, and the dead leap gay in the pallid ray sprung out of the tomb's black maw to shake all the world with awe, and all that the morn shall greet forlorn, the ugliness and the pest of rose where thick rises the stones and brick shall some day be with the rest and brood with the shades unblessed. And wild in the dark, let the lemurs bark, and the leprous spires ascend, for new and old alike in the fold of horror and death are penned, for the hounds of time to rend. The Jack O' Lantern, 1909, Madison J. Cowan. Last night it was Halloween, darkest night I've ever seen. And the boy next door, I thought, would be glad to know of this jack-o'-lantern father brought home from Indianapolis. And he was glad, borrowed it, put a candle in it, and lit. Hid among the weeds out there in the side lot near the street, I could see it, eyes aglare, mouth and nose red slits of heat. My, but it looked scary. He perched an old hat on it, see, like some hat a scarecrow has, battered, tattered all around, and he fanned long arms of grass up and down above the ground. First an Irish woman, shawled, with a basket, saw it, bawled for her saints, and wept and cried, Is it you, Pat? Och, I knew he would get you when you died. Faith, there's little change in you. Then the candle sputtered, flared, and went out, and on she fared, muttering to herself. When lit, no one came for longest while. Then a man passed, looked at it on his face, a knowing smile. Then it scared a younger girl into fits. She gave a whirl and a scream and ran and ran, thought old Nick had hold her skin. And she ran into a man, policeman, and he ran into her. But what pleased me most was that it made one boy lose his hat. A big fool who thinks he's smart, brags about the boys he beat, knew he'd run right from the start, biggest coward on the street. Then a crowd of girls and boys gathered with a lot of noise. When they saw the lantern well, they just took a hand. They thought they had him when he fell, but he turned on them and fought. He just took the lantern stick, 
laid about him hard and quick, and they yelled and ran away. Then he brought me all he had of my lantern, and, I say, could have cried I was so mad. The Charms, 1903 by Emma A. Opper Last night was witching Halloween, dearest. An apple russet brown I pared, and thrice above my crown whirled the long skin. They watched it keen. I flung it far. They laughed and cried me shame. Dearest, there lay the letter of your name. Took I the mirror then, and crept down, down the creaking narrow stair. The milk pans caught my candle's flare, and mice walked soft, and spiders slept. I spoke the spell, and stood the magic space, dearest, and in the glass I saw your face. And then I stole out in the night, alone, the frogs piped sweet and loud, the moon looked through a ragged cloud. Thrice around the house I sped me light, dearest, and there me thought, charm of my charms you met me kissed me took me in your arms jack o'lantern lights an oral history of abram c harding recorded by harold j moss for the federal writers project of the u s government nineteen thirty eight harding saw the lights in iowa where he lived until eighteen seventy five the strange jack-o'-lantern lights in Iowa were always a mystery to me. They seemed to move through the air about ten feet above the earth. It was a soft red glow and moved slowly. People naturally had all kinds of ideas about them. Some thought they were spirits or symbols, others that they were some sort of life from deep in the earth. Some tried to follow them expecting to be led to some strange spot where old Spanish or Indian treasure lay hidden. They were a good sign or a bad sign according to the one who watched them. It was an unearthly glow, but this was partly because of their unusual motion. People would say they were nothing but an overworked imagination, but they were real to me. I can only explain them as pockets of luminous gas which escaped from some of the coal shafts and floated away. They would appear and disappear, but they remained, more or less, a mystery. If you'd like to read more, you can find them and more in Leslie Bannatyne's A Halloween Reader, poems, stories, and plays from Halloween past. Until next time, be safe, wear your masks, don't forget to give me that feedback, and have a wonderful All Hallows.